Well, as we transition to our teaching time this morning, you guys can be opening up your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're still in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, and our friend Jenny is going to come and read our primary passage for us to get us going. This is the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I, what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen. Thanks, Jenny. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Good? It's good to see you. If you're new, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, no, Pastor Shane and I did not coordinate our shirts matching today. Uh, But at least I've got a jacket covering mine up a little bit, so... It's great to see you guys. Uh, Yeah, we're still in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and as you can see by this title slide of Sin and Death, uh, real upbeat, chipper sermon coming your way here in a minute, so let's pray together and ask God for his help today. God, I ask that you would send your spirit to be with us. God, I pray as we we look at this, these words of Jesus today, um, stark words of warning about dying in our sins. God, I ask and I pray that truly uh, this message today would be one of hope. It would not be one that is uh, where we're just left feeling hopeless, but, but Christ, in your grace, uh, we would see the hope that you have for us. Jesus, for myself, I, I ask that you'd help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word, and I pray for all of us to have soft hearts, receptive hearts. God, would you let our walls and our barricades that we build up, would you let them fall down? so that we could honestly look at ourselves, look at our sin and and, and our lives in the light of your holiness, uh, and truly receive your grace at a deeper level today. Pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. A couple months ago, I guess more than a couple months ago now, closer to a year ago, you guys have heard me talk about this kitchen remodel thing that I've been doing because the, the hose on our fridge leaked. Well, we decided to start doing this remodel. A few months later, we took a trip, family vacation, and we came back, and we flew overnight with children, which is always rough, and we got home and went back to bed for a little while, and I got up in the morning, and maybe about noon or so, just feeling exhausted. You know that feeling when you've traveled overnight, and just feeling exhausted, and the trip was to go visit family, so it wasn't like a true kind of vacation. It was, it was just busy, and I was tired, and I was exhausted, and I'm already undergoing this kitchen remodel project, and I'm like, all right, 
I need to go do a couple errands, and I'm going to take a quick shower. And I went upstairs, and I took a shower, and I got dressed, and I came downstairs, and I grabbed my second oldest daughter, and I said, hey, let's go run a couple errands. We need some groceries. We need to do some things. And she goes, oh, yeah, okay, I'd love to go with you, Dad. Hey, just one thing real fast. Before we go, uh, while you were taking a shower, you just, just so you know, uh, the ceiling was dripping. <sighs> now, in that moment, I'm faced with a choice, like... I don't care. Let's go get groceries, right? Or show me where it's dripping. It's never good news, right? You don't want to look at things like that. I was talking to one of our members the other day. Um, We have a number of members in our church who are fighting cancer and went for some recent scans and and met with not their regular doctor, met with a brand new, fresh out of residency doctor who apparently needs to work on their bedside manner a little bit uh, because the meeting went something like this, like, oh yeah, we did the scans, there's a bunch of new tumors, you probably have months to live. I got to go talk to the next person who walked out of the room. Now regardless of how the news is delivered, you don't want to hear news like that, right? Even if it's delivered in the best possible bedside manner from a doctor, even if it's delivered with the most just chipper, upbeat joy that my 11-year-old daughter could muster. You don't want to hear news like you have a massive leak in your home. You have cancer. Your car uh, transmission is about to go, and if you drive it off this lot, I can't vouch for your safety. We don't like hearing news like that, and, and when Jesus says things like, you, you will die in your sins, I would, I would venture a guess. It's not a stretch to say we don't like to hear things like that. And we're faced with a choice. You gotta ignore it. You, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The clunking in your car. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Wow. It's probably not that bad. Or you're, maybe your car is going to explode. You don't know. But when it comes to our soul, when it comes to the state of our, our spiritual well-being, we might not want to look at things like that. And so today we're going to look full weight at the words of Jesus. And and, and what we're going to see is this. We're going to see just simply, sin is death. Sin is death. And if we're to deal with it, we have to die to sin and then put sin to death. It's all by his grace. So I'm going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to go through the passage again because I want you to hear the the context of what's happening here. But we're going to really focus in on this phrase when Jesus says about dying in our sin. We're going to really focus. It'll be a little bit more almost like a topical sermon in that way. So let's go through these verses again and just make sure we understand what's going on. Verse 21. So he said to them again, they're still talking. It's still the Feast of Booths. They're still having the back and forth dialogue. Jesus and these particular uh, religious leaders. He says, I'm going away. You will seek me. You're going to look for me, but you will die in your sin. So right out of the gate, this conversation has now taken a turn. You're going to look for me. I got to go somewhere. Now, you, you who were here a few weeks ago, you remember we, we had a sermon uh, where we looked at the idea that Jesus, he has to be redeemer first before he can be example. There's some places where we can't imitate Jesus. Dying and rising again for the sins of the world is one of those places that we can't imitate Jesus. But actually, there is a way in which we imitate him. But we'll get to that in a minute. But this is that same thought. I'm going to go to a place where you can't come. So the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? 
since he's saying this, like I'm going someplace where you can't come. And this is actually a great moment because yes, they're misunderstanding Jesus, but at least they're finally starting to get it that this has something to do with Jesus dying. Oh, he, I think he's talking about dying. Is he going to kill himself? What, how's this going to work? He said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. Your, your, your thought process is just, we're not on the same page here, guys. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you're an underliner or a highlighter, this is the one you highlight. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe, Gospel of John is clear. Jesus says time and time again, you must believe. Believe what? Believe that I am he. Well, who, who, who are you? Who is he? Jesus said, just what I've been, I've been telling you guys this over and over and over again. I am from above. I have much to say about you and much to judge. That's not complimentary now, is it? You guys have given me a lot of material to judge here. Um, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. I, I, I come from above. I come from God. I come with a message, and I come with a mission. And he's, he's, he's saying, I, I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die because of your sin, for your sin. And unless you believe in me, you won't have life. You're, you're going to die in your sin. I come from God. I'm speaking the message that he gave me to speak. But they just didn't understand that he's talking to them about the Father. And by the way, that word judge, sometimes we trip out over that word judge. Um, it, it doesn't, we, we often think of it in the sense of criticizing. And it, it can be used that way, even in the Bible, you know, about judging people, criticizing, looking down on people. But oftentimes when the Bible uses the word judge, I like to think of it as sorting through all of the messy knots that we as human beings have created in our societies. If you think about what a judge has to do, oftentimes a judge has to go into a courtroom and listen to arguments from multiple sides trying to convince the judge that their case is right and the judge has to sort through the knots, untangle the knots and figure out and render a judgment. That's, that's what Jesus often is talking about when he talks about judging the world. It's, it's figuring the whole messy thing out. Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, what are we talking about there? talking about his crucifixion, he lifted up on the cross. What looks like his execution as a criminal is actually the enthronement ceremony of our new king. Once the Son of Man has been lifted up, then you will know. Oh yeah, how are they going to know? Because he's going to rise from the dead. (laughs) He's not going to stay on that cross. He's not going to stay dead. He's going to rise. Then you're going to get it. Someday you're going to get it. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Wow. There's some hope right there, huh? Jesus always does the things that are pleasing to God. We can't say that. Amen? Unfortunately, we do not always do the things that are pleasing to God. We do the things, but not the ones that are always pleasing to God. And as he was saying these things, I love this. Many believed in him. And I love that verse for two reasons. Number one, 
It's what those religious leaders didn't want to happen. They didn't want him, people to believe in him. And second of all, as we're going to see next week, th- this, this belief here, I think, is actually some of the most genuine belief. We're going to look at that next week, so just hold on to that. Stay tuned. But real belief in Jesus, what he's saying, he came to die, he is God, he's from above, he came to be with us, he came to say there's a problem, your, your, your sin is leading to death, I've come to die and to rise again to give you new life. Very simple gospel message when you kind of sort through and parse through just the, what he's saying, right? It's not, it's not hard to see it. Now, here's the question though. We need to answer a few questions. The first question we really need to answer is, if Jesus says that sin is such a serious problem that it leads to death, why don't we take sin seriously? I know that it's, listen, there's a common thing in our culture in our society, and it's not just people who are outside of the church, it's people who are within the church where a complaint can be raised, why do we always got to be so negative? Why do we always got to talk about sin so much? Can't we talk about, hey, let's go be the, the, the money guys, they're back up here, let's talk more about like how to manage our money. Like, David, do you want to just tag in for me, bro? Like just talk about stewarding our finances God's way, right? Like that'd be really helpful because I've got a credit card and I need to explode it with a bazooka or something, right? It's just, let's talk about some of that kind of stuff or, you know, five steps to a better marriage or, you know, like just honestly, give me some, give me some, something uplifting, give me something happy, give me something cheerful, can I just confess, even as a pastor, as a preacher, I come across passages like this, and I'm like, really, God, this is what I got to preach on? Like, your sin is going to kill you. Like, Happy Sunday. Welcome to Sound City Bible Church, right? Show of hands, how many of you agree that for yourself, you recognize you don't always take sin seriously, okay? Well, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Do you take sin as seriously as God takes sin? No. I don't. You don't. Why? Why don't we? Why do we downplay our sin? I think there's a handful of reasons. The first one is this. Sin is pleasurable. Okay? Let's just get the obvious one out of the way first. <laughs> In Hebrews 11, it talks about the, 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 the short-lived pleasures of sin. Moses said no to the fleeting pleasures of sin. He, he chose to be mistreated along with God's people. Just because we don't have the pit anymore. I can still walk around like this, right? Is this okay? Okay, good. Sin is pleasurable. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. You, let, me, let me say this. You have never committed a sin that you didn't want to. Now, maybe after you sinned and you did that, you wake up like, oh, I didn't like that. I don't like the consequence. I don't like the way it made me feel right. But in the moment, there was some payoff. There was some hook. There was some high. There was some whatever, some endorphin rush, some, some reason you wanted to. Sin's pleasurable, right? Can we just be honest about that? Now, different people have different pleasure you know, tastes, what tastes pleasurable to you in your sin might taste different to somebody else, but we all have things that are displeasing to God that just feel pretty darn good. So that may be one reason why we downplay it. Well, how could it be wrong if it feels so good, right? Get like every love song from the early 90s. Just <laughs> Another reason we downplay sins, we're distracted. Mark 4 talks about, you know, the seed that goes into the ground, and it springs up, but then it gets choked out by all the cares of the world and all the pressures and all the busyness. You got, anybody here got things going on in your life? I am so 
sick of the like, hey, how's it going? Good, busy. Like that is like the number one conversation that I have with human beings, okay? And I've tried to remove that word from my vocabulary. Like, oh, I, you, must be, you must be really busy. I hear this as a, you know, as a pastor. Hey, I, I'd like to talk to you, but I, I know you're so busy. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy. You're, we're all busy. Let's just talk together, right? But the reality is we got so many things going on in our lives. We got so much distraction. We got so much entertainment. We've got so much uh, just notifications on my phone. Like, who's texting me now? Pastor Shane, will you stop texting me, please, while I'm trying to preach here? Right? Like, we've got so many things going on in our lives. We, we just kind of forget. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot that I was sinful. I forgot that I was doing things that break the heart of God. Sometimes we just don't believe. Just pure unbelief, right? Jesus said, sin leads to death. Your, your sin is like death. And we're like, ah, maybe, I don't know. You know Proverbs 8 says that the, the, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And then we're like, ah, maybe, I don't know. Just, it's just unbelief, just pure unbelief. Our hardness of heart, minimizing a little bit, you know, Right? Yeah, the car is clunking just a little bit. And I know I, I could throw a, is throwing a rod, is that something, Steve, that happens? And it's bad, right? Right, okay. So yeah, so like throwing a rod, right? Fact check my sermons on the spot, right? Ah, it's just, it's just a little bit of dripping from the ceiling. Oh, it's just a little bit of cancer. It's probably okay. Just unbelievable. Like we, 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 you know, going to meet with a doctor, and again, even if they have the best bedside manner, if they say something extreme to you, like, hey, if you don't make changes to your, your diet or your lifestyle or things, like, this is going to shorten your life. Ah. Ah. Numbness. Romans 6 talks about just, we, we, become, our, we become obedient slaves. You become an obedient slave to the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. So Paul's saying the same thing as Jesus. Sin leads to death. Or you could be a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But we just kind of get numb. We get used to it. We get comfortable in it. You ever had that thing, again, to go with the car analogy, like you're used to whatever that clunking noise is. You're used to whatever that clicking noise is. And then you lend it to someone. You lend your car to someone. They get in it and they drive it like, man, you got, a, you got an issue. Like, did you know? And you're like, yeah, I know. I should probably. But you've just gotten used to it. You've just gotten comfortable with it. My, my brother uh, worked in roofing for a number of years, and I had a house that just, the roof was kind of falling apart or whatever, and, and I was living here in the Seattle area, and he lived in Alaska, he came to visit. Hey, man, we need to talk about your roof. I'm like, I don't want to talk about my roof. You just get used to it. You just get numb to it. Like, ah, oh, you know, sure, I just, I've got this habitual, constant, perpetual, never-stopping sin issue thing. But yeah, it's just, it's just you know, it's how I was raised. It's just part of me. Here's, here's an interesting one. Sometimes we ignore our sin and we downplay our sin out of a motivation of self-loathing or self-hatred. First Corinthians, I know this one's a little bit interesting, but 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. If you're a Christian, you were ransomed and redeemed with nothing less than the precious blood, the, the blood of Jesus who 
only does what is pleasing to the Father, the perfect blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot. And meanwhile, you don't look at yourself through the eyes of God and you say, yeah, I'm downplaying my sin because I'm just a wretch of a human being. I'm just a terrible person. That's who I am. That's how my daddy was. That's how my granddaddy was. Meanwhile, Christ is calling you upward and to look at yourself through the eyes of God himself. That you are not trash, you are not rubbish, you are precious and loved in his sight, that Jesus shed his blood for you, and you were set free to live free. So stop hating yourself and downplaying your sin. And then the last one, which might be the most frustrating of all, is just blindness. In 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter talks about blindness. He, he says, you know, there's this, there's this thing where you need to, you need to, you know, add to your faith love and add to your love uh, perseverance and like just this whole cluster of like all these wonderful things to do. Like here's how to grow and be like an awesome person. Then he says, whoever doesn't do these things is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed of past sins. So Peter is talking about blindness, not just for like a non-Christian. Somebody who's not a Christian, there's a, there's a spiritual blindness there. But when you, Christian, continue to fall into sin, you're revealing areas of spiritual blindness in your life. Pastor and author Paul Tripp says that spiritual blindness is not like physical blindness. When you're physically blind, you know you're blind. And so you compensate for this significant physical deficit. But spiritually blind people are not only blind, they are blind to their own blindness. They think they see well. So the spiritually blind person walks around with the delusion that no one has a more accurate view of himself than he does. And if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. What if you don't see yourself as accurately as... Not only, I mean, God, God sees you, but even those who are close to you in your life. So maybe at this point you say, okay, I get it. We downplay our sin. I'm, I'm willing to believe that the, the problem is bad. I'm willing to look at my blindness. I'm willing to s- stop downplaying it. How, how bad, how bad are we talking here? This is when you have that conversation with your mechanic. How much is this going to set me back? This is when you ask your doctor, how, how, how many... Months maybe do I have to live? How bad is the problem? Well, really bad. There's a verse in Galatians 5 that says, the acts of the sinful nature, some of your translations might say flesh, are obvious. And I start here because it helps us to see kind of the dual nature of the problem. The dual nature of the problem, symptom and disease. When you cough... You cough because you have bronchitis or whatever. When you have dizzy spells and you faint, it's because you have, again, whatever. When your car belches out black smoke, it's because something's messed up in there, right? You guys understand that the scriptures use this analogy. So so let's start with the symptoms. Let's just start with the symptoms, okay? Okay. Let's list off the symptoms. So here's from Galatians 5, this verse. I'm just going to read this list. This is going to take us a minute. I'm going to go slowly, 
And I want you to just think, because we could click, if, you know, if we had a, a mouse and we could hyperlink on each one of these words, each one could expand out to another link and to another tree of stuff. So let's just go there, okay? Let's look at the problem. Sexual immorality. Moral impurity. Promiscuity. Idolatry, which means just loving anything more than God. Sorcery, and probably many of you are like, okay, whew, dodged, dodged one, <laughs> finally. However, the underlying word in the Greek is related to our word for pharmacology, and there's a good amount of scholarship that uh, you could, there's a case to be made that it's actually referring to substance abuse or anything that gives you a, a rush. I'll, I'll just leave that one there. Oh, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions. I want to do things, I want to gain things. Not for God's glory, not for the benefit of other people. Just for me. I want to look good dissensions, factions, you know, dividing from people, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then Paul just kind of says, and anything similar. I warn you about these things as I've warned you before. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What about the Ten Commandments? Let's just throw that one in there while we're at it. False worship, idolatry, misusing God's name, not resting, dishonoring parents, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and then just the one that, like, it's not even external, it's internal, coveting. Just, oh, I wish I had, oh. What else? I mean, we could go for a long time. I'm not going to go for a long time, but I'm going to go for a little bit of a long time. James 4.17 says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. I've got some opportunity to help, some opportunity to serve, some opportunity to be a blessing. I don't take it. That's sin. And then Romans 14.23, anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. You could go serve meals at soup kitchens and and clean up parks and rescue stray dogs. But if it doesn't come from a genuine place of faith in God, those are the symptoms. The disease that lies underneath that is this idea of the sinful nature or the flesh. Sometimes people talk about depravity or, 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 or total depravity. That doesn't mean that everyone is as bad as they could possibly be, but it does mean that every person is affected in every way by the reality of sin. If you don't believe in human depravity, 
I would love to invite you to serve in our nursery for a few weeks. Because there's one thing I know as a parent, and has, having been a child and having been around children, you never, never, never have to sit down and teach them how to say mine and snatch a toy away from another kid. Never had to do it. My kids all figured that one out on their own. Like it was natural to them. No, it doesn't mean they're as wicked as they could be despite how it seems sometimes at bedtime, right? <laughs> but there's this, there's this disease underneath. Here's the thing. Religious people love to focus on the symptoms. But the gospel of Jesus Christ invites us to look at the underlying disease. And it will affect the symptoms, yes. But if all you do is go after symptoms and you never address the root cause, the underlying sin disease, then all you're doing is symptom management. And anyone who's involved in the medical profession in any way, shape, or form will tell you that that's a fool's errand. Yeah, it can help a little bit. It might make your life a little bit more pleasant. It might make the lives of those around you a little bit more pleasant. You might alleviate a little bit of suffering. But at the end of the day, we are left with this question, what can truly be done? What can we do about the underlying disease? What can we do to really get at the heart of the matter? And I have good news for you today. We can die. Wait, I thought you said that sin leads to death. Yeah, well, I want to tell you about a type of death, a death to sin. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again, and death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too, you too, here's what you got to do. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we were hearing this through the lips of John, the author of our gospel, he would say, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, who he is his death, his resurrection. For those of you who are not yet believers in Jesus, you're not yet Christians, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that Jesus says that you're on a path to death. What life you have right now is slipping away from you. And there's only one hope, and that's you give up hoping in yourself and your efforts and your symptom management, and you simply die and believe in Jesus. It's, it's like... It's like when the doctor says, you only have a few months to live. However, there's this one radical experimental treatment, and you say, do I want to go through it? I'm just going to die to myself, I'm going to do it. It's when the, when the, the contractor shows up at your house and says, listen, we're, we have to do a massive renovation. Your roof is leaking, your pipes are leaking. We're gonna, this is gonna, it's like going to drain your savings account. It's going to cost you everything. Okay, i got to do it. It's kind of like that, only infinitely more. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in my sins. I'm numb to my sins. It's, I can't stop these symptoms. And I'm inviting you to deliver the antidote, to, de- to deliver the medicine that will begin to course its way through my entirety of being, to, to, to work not from the outside in, but from the inside out, dealing with my sin disease at its very root. 
For those of you who are Christians, you've, you've taken that step of faith. The blood of Jesus has been administered. The medicine has been given to you. Praise God for that, amen? And then you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sometimes I still sin. At least my wife tells me sometimes I still sin. What about that? Well, yeah. Yeah. The gospel doesn't promise us an instantaneous just like, like swapping out a transmission. It's, it's more like a transmission rebuild. We're going to take this one part at a time and we're going to take our time. And, because you know why, why that is? Because God wants relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. And so if, once, once you've taken that plunge, I'm putting my sin to, I'm, I've, I've died to sin, now you start the long, lifelong process of putting sin to death. Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Again, we're just, we're tracking here with what Jesus says. Don't live according to that sin nature. Don't live according to that old way of life, that, that, that brokenness of who you are. But if you live by the Spirit and you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Some of the older translations uh, call it mortifying the sin, mortification of sin, which I would joke and say sounds like a cool band name, except there is a band called Mortification of Sin. So that's a real thing. It's like a Christian death metal band, as oxymoronic as that sounds, right? Mortify your sin. Put it to death. Don't wink at it. Don't minimize it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't say it's just your genetics or your family or your ethnic heritage or your upbringing or, well, that person, if they hadn't done that thing to me, I wouldn't have responded in that way. No, put it to death and be ruthless with it because it's robbing you of life and joy in Christ. Even for those of you who are Christians, you've, you've received the, the medicine. Let's, let's say it was lung cancer or whatever. They're going to they're gonna give you the medicine. It's working its way through. But do you really want to go outside and start smoking cigarettes again? Like, that's not helping the healing process. Jesus, the great physician, is saying, let's do this. Let's do this. I've, I've done for you what you could not do for yourself. Now join me in my work of grace in your life. Put sin to death. How? How do I put sin to death? Briefly. It starts with an honest self-assessment. You aren't going to put any sin to death if you haven't honestly looked at yourself and said, yeah, here's the areas. Here's where, I, here's where I need to let down my guard. Here's where I need to stop making excuses. Here's where I need to stop fronting. It also means letting others in because again, spiritual blindness, you're blind to your blindness and there are areas of your life, I guarantee it, that people in your life can see better and more clearer than you. And if you're anything like me, it's really hard to hear those things sometimes. Someone comes to you and says, hey, you did this thing or you said this thing. And man, it's like, well, I got this reason or I did this thing or, or, you know, you don't understand me. You don't know me. You can't judge me. Whatever the excuse comes up, let others in. What if there was someone in your life who actually loved you and cared for you and could speak a word? You're like, hey, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm not trying to beat you up. I love you. I want good for you. This area of your life is causing you harm and death. Let others in. How are we going to fight this remaining sin? How are we going to put sin to death? The spiritual disciplines. Shocking how often it comes up. 
man, I'm just not feeling good spiritually. I'm feeling this, that. I've got this thing going on. I'm, I'm struggling. But, you know, how's your Bible reading? I haven't touched it in six months. Okay. How's your prayer time? I just, you know, every once in a while when I, you know, stub my toe or something, I was like, come on. You don't do the spiritual disciplines to impress God or to earn his love or, or any such nonsense like that. That's religion. We're rejecting that. But I am saying you're being invited to live free. So get together with some Christians. Set aside some time to pray. Open up your doggone Bible for once in a while and, and, and put into practice those things that God says will bring you life. Just do it. This is easy. Oh, it's really hard. I know it's hard. No, it's easy. Because Christ has done that which we could not do in dying and rising again. Let's pursue him with discipline. I'll just, I'll just, mm. when you're on thin ice, you're allowed to dance, right? Some of you are far more disciplined about incredibly trivial things than you are about the most important thing, which is the state of your soul before God. on something at random, right? Fantasy sports. Like, you never miss a trade deadline. You never miss a roster move. You never, I know it's a really small demographic of some guys in here or something. Some gals too, I'm not. But right, like just the discipline that you show on that. You know, you're, the discipline on your, that you, that you, that you show on, I don't know, taking care of your car or cleaning your house or how's your heart before God? Perseverance. Sometimes you just got to keep going. I thought I did put that sin to death. Well, it's kind of like a zombie and it just gets back up again and find a new machete and swing away again, right? Just got to keep going. I mean, come on. Like, how many, how many of you have been Christians for a while? Like, seriously, this again? Anybody? Is it just me? How am I, how am I, how am I, this is, this is my thought process, how am I, raised in the church, raised by Christian parents, taught the Bible from a young age, know the difference between right and wrong, given every opportunity to have all sorts of, you know, spiritual maturity or whatever, how am I still struggling with this nonsense? Which then just belies the pride that's underneath all of the sin too. Sometimes you just got to keep going. Ugh. Remaining sin, the, the, the old man, he doesn't drown easily. <laughs> yeah. Not entirely sure what you said, but I think that's probably good, right, Jordan? Last one is this, deeper, deeper joy. <laughs> I said at the very beginning that sin is pleasurable, right? And, and sometimes we're, we're so caught up in that pleasure of sin. But what Christ has for us, Christ does not call us to put sin to death because he wants to rob us of joy, but he wants to give us that which is true joy and true delight. Deeper joy, deeper delight. And some of you need to remind yourself, man, Christ has a better joy for me. A joy that doesn't come with regret. A pleasure that doesn't come with a massive letdown. 
a joy that points us to the greatest joy when Christ returns and we celebrate in the presence of God and the angels and the saints who have gone before and we feast and we sing and we dance and we party and we work and we enjoy God for all of eternity. That's what's awaiting us because we've died to sin and now we're putting sin to death in our lives. And even with this part about, you know, Put it to death, put it to death. You notice notice what the Apostle Paul said? By the Spirit. You got to do this by the Spirit. I'll close with this quote from author Jen Pollock Michelle. She says this In our fight to mortify the flesh, we can attempt measures of self control, but sin does not die apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is a bloody business, and it's Jesus' blood not the blood of bulls and goats that has made the perfect sacrifice for its remission. We mortify our flesh when we remember his sacrifice. Friends, this is why we believe that the gospel is not just something that gets you in to the family of God. Oh, you need to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. This is something that we live by. It's Jesus' death and his resurrection, and it's nothing else forever. He is our hope. His grace is enough. We're going to go to God now in response through giving and the table and singing, but let's go to him now in prayer. God, I ask and I pray that you'd help us to have our hearts be searched right now. God, would you search us and know us? See if there's any unclean way within us. Test us, Lord God, and help us to have the courage to respond to you, to put our sin to death. God, for those who who may be here yet that have not taken that first step of of just dying to sin, God, I ask and I pray that you would give them the courage and the faith to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe who you are. I believe in your death, your resurrection. And I'm giving my sin to you and I'm receiving your grace. God, for those who've already done that, help us to be honest about where we truly are and that we would be willing and obedient to put sin to death because we want to experience your joy and we want to experience the life that you have for us. Pray this in Jesus' good name, amen. Friends, we're going to respond in a few ways. The first way we're going to respond is through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And so I'd like to invite our financial stewards to collect the offering. You already, you already heard a, a testimony earlier today from, from David about just giving and, and the way that God ministers grace to us in that. For some of you, giving feels like a form of death. Like, ugh. This can be one of the spiritual disciplines that you engage in and that you participate in so as to say, God, my money doesn't own me. I encourage you to give, as the scripture says, generously and cheerfully, not under guilt or obligation. If you're new here, we don't, we don't do arm twisting. I'd also like to read from 1 Corinthians 11 now to help us prepare for our time of celebrating the Lord's table. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then here's our opportunity to reflect. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I've said it before. The only way that we come 
in an unworthy manner is coming to the table thinking that we're worthy. (laughs) There are no perfect people in this room. We all need the grace of God in some way. So let's bring our hearts before him. Let the Spirit search us. And as we eat and as we drink today, let's remember that it is Jesus himself is our medicine. And even as you think about this, as you eat and you drink the elements down into your body, that that Jesus is saving us from the inside out. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just call us to a lifetime of symptom management? There's actually a cure. His, his, His broken body and his shed blood for us. And then we'll sing. Elizabeth and the team will invite us to stand and and sing in a moment. But but first, let's reflect and bring our hearts before God. God, I ask that now in this time of reflection that you would meet with us. God, we we take this this bread and we take this cup and we, we thank you for these gifts, these gifts of your grace, these gifts of your mercy. And I ask and I pray right now that you would meet with us and you would remind us of the grace that you've shown to us and you would remind us that you're with us as we battle against remaining sin. Give us encouragement to follow you in obedience, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.